Um, it's great to be with you guys today. I've gotten to know Rick over the last couple of years through um, the Gospel Coalition Orange County chapter and appreciate his friendship and appreciate the invitation to share with you today. Um, I come from Santa Ana, so not too far up the five, and I bring greetings from Southlands, Santa Ana, which is my home church. We're a new church plant, so we're about a year and a half into the church planting adventure, and church planting in a pandemic is a special kind of adventure, um, but it's been a joy. And uh, the, I'm an elder there with one other elder named John Marshall, and that name might be familiar to some of you because he actually went to Christ Community for about 10 years, about a decade ago. So he brings his greetings uh, as well um, from Southland Santa Ana. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about wisdom with you guys this morning. Wisdom is a evergreen topic. It's always important, I think, for Christians to think about wisdom. But I think today, more than ever in the digital age, we need to think about wisdom because there's this dynamic that I have seen where we live in this information age, right? There's more and more information at our fingertips, but less and less wisdom. Have you noticed this, right? Even though knowledge is easy to come by, you can Google anything, any question you have, anything in history, any fact is just a Google search away. We're inundated with information, but there hasn't been a, a accompaniment of wisdom rising, right? All you have to do is go on to your social media feeds or turn on cable news. I don't think any of us would look at that and be like, yeah, we've reached the pinnacle of wisdom in the information age, right? It's the opposite. I feel like there's less and less wisdom today because of the inundated nature of more and more information. So this is the tension that I wanted to explore in the Wisdom Pyramid, the book. How do we find wisdom? Because it's more needed too, whenever there's all this information coming at us, all these voices with opinions, people making arguments on the news, on your social media feed, you know, all the media choices that our kids have access to these days, we need discernment more than ever, right? And so we need wisdom more than ever to figure out, okay, is this true? Is this false? Is this edifying? Is this beneficial? You know, even if it's permissible to use Paul's language, we need this wisdom more than ever and yet, as I said, wisdom is harder and harder to come by. Um, we're living in an age of, of rampant foolishness. Part of the challenge is we're in what's been called an epistemological crisis, which is a big way of saying a crisis of truth. Um, you may have heard the word post-truth bandied about in recent years. Oxford um, dictionaries actually made post-truth the word of the year, I think, about five years ago. And it speaks to the fact that even secular folks are sensing something has changed. We don't know what to grab onto. We don't know what to trust. Even basic facts we don't know anymore. We're in this crisis of knowledge, this crisis of truth. But even though I think it's gotten a lot worse in the digital age, it's not a new thing. And it's been a long trajectory of kind of the crumbling of truth over the centuries. You can kind of track it all the way back to maybe the Enlightenment when um, prior to the Enlightenment, it was just kind of assumed that truth was something outside of the self, right? It's an objective thing that is there, a transcendent truth before which every human is subject, right? It's not about my truth, it's about the truth. Well, that changed starting in the Enlightenment with this kind of look within epistemology where I think, therefore I am. So it's sort of started with 
the Enlightenment, but then has gotten to the point where now no one even um, finds it at all weird to say my truth, right? Your truth. That's just normal. So we've come a long way from truth as being this thing external to the self to now um, we actually, most people believe truth is kind of within the self. Um, if you want to learn more about that history, there's a really good book uh, by Carl Truman called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. Um, has anyone read that book? It's a 400-page-ish book, so it's an undertaking, but it's worth it. And he actually just came out with a shortened kind of Reader's Digest version, I think, called Strange New World, which is maybe like half the size. Um, but that's a good book for looking at how we got to this point of the truth, objective, outside the self, to kind of subjectivism, where every truth is to each their own. So as the transcendent has been replaced with the self, naturally truth becomes unstable, right? Because if truth is just everyone has their own truth, how can we even talk about it in any sort of commonsensical way? You know, what, what happens when my truth and your truth are exactly the opposite? They're contradictory. We saw this a lot over the last few years with the pandemic, right? One person's truth is, you know, that vaccines are horrible, they're gonna kill you. The other person's truth is vaccines are the savior, they're the best thing ever, they're gonna end this pandemic. Well, what is the truth? We don't know because it's kind of to each their own. So Time Magazine kind of um, interestingly a couple years ago made this observation about the connection between transcendent truth going away and then truth itself dying away as a consequence of that. So um, I have a slide to illustrate this, but a couple years ago, Time Magazine uh, came out with the cover on the right, Is Truth Dead? It was a cover story about this epistemological crisis that we're in, the post-truth thing, and the, the designer of this cover was very savvy because they, they designed it in such a way to be a throwback to another Time Magazine cover exactly 50 years before um, with this, the three-word question then was, is God dead? So isn't that interesting that even like a secular publication like Time Magazine is clearly making this connection that if you do away with God, if you do away with transcendent truth, truth itself will eventually die, right? So that's interesting. So it's been five years since Time Magazine came out with that question, but in the last couple of years, as I said, the problem has gotten a whole lot worse. Um, not only COVID-19 and just the rising skepticism that people have towards experts of every kind. There's a good book called The Death of Expertise by Tom Nichols, which gets at some of this. But also the rising uh, partisanship in our culture has really um, eroded truth because I think we increasingly do not trust people we used to trust. Journalists, scientists, institutional leaders, even your own pastor, sorry Rick, people don't trust, people don't trust the people they used to trust because I think there's this sense, this worry that maybe they are a little bit colored by politics. Maybe, maybe what they're saying, what they're claiming is more about their partisan agenda than about any sort of real truth. But if people, if people are claiming truth, if they're claiming I'm sharing the truth, I'm sharing the facts, but we've seen enough times that what they're really doing is selectively sharing their truth or the facts that support their preferred narrative, then of course we no longer believe 
anyone's claims about truth or facts, right? And when that happens, we're in real trouble because then the default becomes, well, if I can't trust anyone else's claims about truth, what can I trust? Well, I can trust myself. I can trust my own gut instinct, what feels true to me, what I want to be real. And so we resort to pure subjectivism as the only viable foundation of truth. And this is why we're, we're in this crisis, right? This is why we're so lacking in wisdom. We don't know where to look for truth, and so we're just defaulting to looking within ourselves. <clears throat> so given all of this, given this problem, what do we do? Where do we look for wisdom? Um, well, I think a good place to go in the Bible, of course, is Proverbs, this book of wisdom. And within Proverbs, um, the text I want to look at today is Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it to, this is a very familiar passage. Um, I think we had like a framed cross stitch of this in our house growing up, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Um, but I think that's for a reason. This is kind of like the thesis statement of sorts for the book of Proverbs. It really encapsulates the essence of where we look for wisdom and where we don't look for wisdom. So let's, let's read it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So in this first section of Proverbs in which chapter 3 falls, it's kind of like fatherly advice to young people. It's an invitation for young people who are kind of just getting started in life to get on the right path, right? To, to set your course on the path of wisdom so that you're not veering off into the way of folly. Um, if you have a high school graduate or a college graduate who's graduating right now, like good advice for them is read Proverbs, the first nine chapters often, because this is like sage wisdom for living a life of wisdom. Um, I wrote this book, The Wisdom Pyramid. It's the first book I've written since becoming a dad. And I think that that's significant because when you become a parent, you really do start thinking about how do I set my child on a course of wisdom, especially in this world that we live in where so much foolishness is going to be coming at them from every direction. So I've been living in Proverbs as a dad for the last uh, four years. We have three kids, three and under. And so, busy life with parents, but I try to read Proverbs as much as I can to just ground myself in the wisdom that I want to impart to them. So, these, these verses that we just read are really about what wisdom is, but also what it isn't. Where to look for it, but also where not to look for it. And so, let's start with the negative. What, what is wisdom not? Where should we not look for it? First, I think we get a clue from it in verse 5. Um, that wisdom is not the same thing as knowledge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. So there's this distinction between wisdom is about trusting with your heart, loving God, kind of trusting in a relational sense, and it's not leaning on your own understanding, right? Wisdom is not the same thing as information, knowledge. It's not just about filling your brain with facts, memorizing things as much as you can. That can be helpful and important, but that is not wisdom. You can be the smartest person in the world. You can have 
triple PhD, you can be a, a high IQ, and you can be unwise, right? And the opposite is true. You can be someone who lives in rural, you know, Africa, who's only kind of ever gone through like elementary education, but you could be a very wise person, right? So there's, there's this, this separation we have to have with knowledge and information is different than wisdom. And this is why we can live in the information age, right, where there's more information at our fingertips than ever and see wisdom actually go, go down. Um, robots right now have more capacity for knowledge than humans, right? Artificial intelligence has more information in their capacity than us, but would anyone say robots are the wisest entities on the planet? I hope not. That would be very scary if that were true. So wisdom is not merely a matter of data processing. So as we raise our kids, we have to be clear that as much as college degrees, education, good grades matter, accumulating knowledge is not the same thing as being wise. A second thing that I think this passage makes clear is that wisdom is not about looking within yourself, right? This is, one, this is probably the biggest takeaway from these verses. Do not lean on what? Your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom just doesn't come from me being the frame of reference for truth. And this is probably the, where this passage is the most countercultural in our world today, right? Because we hear messages all the time about follow your heart, be true to yourself, look within yourself, right? Live your truth. But these verses in Proverbs like literally say the exact opposite. Don't look within yourself. Don't follow your heart. That's not the path to wisdom. If anything, that leads to destruction. And we see this in other places in the Bible. It's not just here. Isaiah 5, 21 says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. And of course, Jeremiah 17 famously says, The heart is deceitful above all things. So following your heart, biblically, not a good idea. The heart is a deceitful thing. It leads us astray. So the, the culture is saying one thing about where to find wisdom. The Bible says something very opposite. So we really need to instill this, this difference, this countercultural difference into our kids because they're growing up in this world that is pitched literally the opposite. Live your truth, they're being told, as if truth is something that they can just conjure up to their own liking. Um, and usually it's kind of associated with their feelings and what they feel or want to be true. But the Bible says differently. Um, wisdom is not from below. It's not from within ourselves. James talks about wisdom as being something from above, right? And then he says in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, it doesn't, he doesn't say if any of you lacks wisdom, look within yourself. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Wisdom is a God-given thing. It's God-created. It's oriented around God. So if I could put it in one sentence, I would say, we cannot be wise apart from God. God is the standard, definition, source, and keeper of wisdom. It's his to give and his to define. Okay, so that's kind of the negative, what wisdom isn't. So now let's look at what is wisdom, then, if, if it's not looking within yourself, if it's not gaining all this intelligence and knowledge, um, what is wisdom? And I just kind of succinctly defined it a little bit, but let me unpack it a bit um, in, in terms of 
an image, really. I would suggest to you that above all, wisdom is an orientation. So if you think about like maps and, and kind of orienting yourself, um, the life of wisdom is one of being oriented around the right thing, and the right thing is God, right? Wisdom is an orientation around God that is all-encompassing. Notice how the author of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with what? what? Not just part of you, but all of your heart. Submit to him, not just with part of yourself, but in all of your ways, submit to him. And I think this holistic language is meant to echo the holistic language of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, which is when Moses and the Israelites are about to enter the promised land. He gives them these speeches, and famously in one of these speeches, he says, the Lord your God is one, and you need to love this God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Jesus later in the New Testament adds to that with all of our minds too. And this, the idea is that we are to love God holistically with all of ourselves, fully devoted to him. That is the beginning of wisdom, is loving him holistically. So we don't just love God on Sundays when we're in church. Um, we love him every day of the week. We don't just love God with our emotions when the worship music stirs up our emotions and it's easy to love God in that moment. We love God in the other phases of life. We love God also with our minds, with our intellects. And we don't just love God with our minds and intellect, but we love him with our bodies, our strength, our physicality. We love God with all of ourselves, and that is a key to gaining wisdom. So wisdom is an orientation of all aspects of our loves and our lives around God. Loving him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And when we live with this all-encompassing orientation, I think it gives us more and more of an ability to intuitively understand reality. Because when we're synced up with God, because we love him so much, we live our lives oriented around him, we'll just gradually be able to have this sense of this is true, this is false, right? This accords with God's reality, and this doesn't. And not only that, but we'll, we'll, we'll know what is right, but we'll also desire to live rightly. Wisdom, I think, also involves a, a heart's desire to want to live in accordance with God's truth and with God's reality. And the more our lives are oriented around God and his moral order and his reality, the more we will become wise. So it's an orientation of our lives around God. Now, the, the image of orientation and maps is interesting because Proverbs uses that image a lot. It talks a lot about wisdom as a path, um, staying on the path, right? That's what wisdom is. Folly is veering off of the path, kind of wandering aimlessly, ending up at the doorstep of Lady Folly, maybe. But wisdom is staying on the right path, knowing where you're going, knowing true north. That's wisdom. Proverbs uh, 3, 6, the one we just read, uses this language. It, it says, in all your ways submit to him, and what? He will make straight your path. So at the end of the day, Inf uh, wisdom is less about information than it is about orientation. We, were, we are all bound to wander aimlessly as nomads in life unless we have a true north, unless we have God as the compass. So if, if this is all true, if wisdom is a holistic orientation around God, if it's 
living all of ourselves in reference to him as the true north, then what does that look like? How do we, how do we live more in that way? Well, this is what I, I tried to get at in my book, The Wisdom Pyramid, which is essentially a vision for a God-centered life that is conducive to wisdom at a time when many of us are foolish, are tempted to foolishness, tempted to look in other places for truth, to listen to political talking heads and our favorite blogger more than we listen to God uh, in terms of finding truth. You've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat, right? You're familiar with that phrase? It's a really, it's a really true, wise saying because we are formed by what we take in. This is true physically um, with our diet. We are physically formed by what we take in, but it's true spiritually as well. Our intakes of information, what we listen to, what we see, what we watch, the ideas that we're subjected to, it forms us spiritually. We are what we eat. Our diet of intakes really matters. So that's what led me to the concept of the wisdom pyramid because I think our diet is very imbalanced in our culture right now. And even if you're a Christian, even if you ostensibly know that they're, you know, God's word and church and things like that are valuable sources of wisdom, we still live in this culture where we are inundated with these bad intakes that are forming us negatively. So I work, um, my job at the Gospel Coalition is primarily like looking at screens all day. I'm in the internet space all the time, social media, and working in that um, sphere, I started to feel myself literally becoming like foolish just by virtue of like living in the digital space so much. And so it made me conscious of, wow, even if like in my mind I know that this is bad for me, I'm still living in this space. It's like if you know candy is bad for you, but you, you're like locked in a candy store and you can't get out. It's all that you have and it's easy pickings, right? That's life on the internet. We know it's junk food. We know it's bad for us for the most part. And yet it still has become the staple of our diet. And if we wonder why um, it seems like just in the last few years, foolishness has become even more prevalent, what happened in the last few years during the pandemic and the lockdowns? We all spent more time on the internet than ever before because we had to. We were doing everything on screens and we were spending less time in physical community and in things like church, which are grounding things that, that ground us in truth, and more time in this surreal reality of the internet. And so it's no wonder that we are becoming more unwise. It's no wonder that we're becoming more anxious, more depressed, more angry, more isolated, more lonely, more overwhelmed. There's data that is showing all of those things are happening. All of those things are increasing. And I think it's not, <laughs> it's, it's very clear that this, the correlation here is more time in this digital environment. When our primary intakes that are feeding our soul are things like TikTok, cable news, Reddit, Twitter, it's the equivalent of having like your physical diet be mostly Skittles and Doritos and Twinkies and brownies. Like those things are all good in moderation, but not good when they're the staple of your diet. What we need is a diet of information that is more oriented around nutritious sources likely to produce wisdom in us and health, not foolishness, not spiritual unhealth. So I'm gonna show you the graphic that I came up with for what, 
what a, a healthy diet of wisdom might look like. So I'm basically ripping off the food pyramid. If you remember the food pyramid from your like health class growing up, the idea with the food pyramid was it's guidance for what to eat and what not to eat and in what proportion so that you'll be physically healthy. The wisdom pyramid is the same idea. It's just instead of food groups, it's what knowledge groups, what categories of information and knowledge are most important for our wisdom at the bottom and for our spiritual health and what are the kind of less important, potentially more hazardous sources of our wisdom at the top. So, um, and to go back to the idea of wisdom being about a God orientation, an orientation of all of our ways around God, one thing you'll notice about the wisdom pyramid is from the bottom up, it, it's all about proximity to God. So the Bible at the bottom is the closest to the source, right? It's God's direct speech to us. So of course that's the most foundational source of wisdom for us. The church is God's presence among his people. It's God's vessel for his mission on earth. And then third up is nature. This is God's revelation through creation, general revelation. It's his handiwork, and scripture says that, that his handiwork declares things about him. And then um, books. This, so this is getting um, a little bit more removed from God because it's man-made things. So the upper half of the wisdom pyramid are man-made sources, and what do we know about man? He has fa fallen. He is fallible. So that you have to take things with a grain of salt if it's a human-created thing. So books are important because God's image bearers have the capacity to discover truth in writing books and pursuing truth, and there's a lot of wisdom to be gained in that, but we have to be careful um, that we're using discernment as we read books. And the same thing with beauty. The guitar is a stand-in for beauty as a category of wisdom. The arts, beauty, that's God's image bearers also kind of pursuing truth, but doing it with like the creation of our hands in the arts and music and recreation, things like that. And then the internet and social media. So I put that in the dessert category, right? The fats, oils, and sweets of the food pyramid are the Twitter and the smartphone and the internet of the wisdom pyramid. I'm not saying that you should never indulge in that. We have to, I think, in the world we live in, we can't really live without it, but if we make it the foundation of our diet, if we flip this pyramid, which, let's be honest, many of us functionally have, if the internet is the foundation of our diet, we will be spiritually malnourished. We will be sick. And I think we have been. We have become sick. So I can say more about the levels, maybe in a little bit if I have time, but um, more than anything, I want this graphic, I want this visual aid of the wisdom pyramid to be a reminder to us. You know, you don't have to like, this isn't like a prescriptive thing where I'm saying you need to have four to five helpings of this category and three to four helpings of that. It's more just to get us thinking about how are we orienting our lives and our intakes around the things of God. Because we live in a, a highly distracted age, we're highly forgetful, we desperately need reminders that prod us, that push us to orient our lives more around God. We're prone to wander, right? As, as fallen creatures, we are prone to wander, and in the internet age, we're prone to wander more than ever, literally. Like, we're wandering on our devices constantly. We're scrolling aimlessly. You know, you open your phone for one thing, and the next thing you know, 
you've Googled your way to something else entirely, you don't know how you got there, and an hour later you're like, what did I do with my hour? I don't know. The internet is breeding foolishness in part because it, it feeds into our prone-to-wander nature. Literally, the algorithms are, are counting on us wanting to wander. You, you open your phone, the algorithms have figured you out, and so there's a video of something that they know you like, and you're off to the races, wandering, right? Wandering eyes, scrolling through things on our phone, clicking on whatever the algorithms want us to click on, that is recipe for foolishness. But having an intentional orientation of your spiritual intakes of diet around the things of God is going to be a recipe for health and wisdom. Um, <clears throat> in, in Jewish households, um, some of you have, if you've been to a Jewish household, you might have seen um, something called a mezuzah. Has, have anyone seen this? So in Jewish households, uh, they have this thing called a mezuzah, which they put up on their doorpost. And within this little thing, they have a tiny scroll, a parchment scroll that has the Shema written on it. It has that, that instruction for, for the people of God to love him holistically. And in Jewish households, they put that on their doorpost so that every time they come in and come home, they are reminded of this and the importance of living their lives in a way that is holistically oriented around God. And I love that. Um, I think we need things like that. We need reminders in a world where we're prone to wander. Our devices are tempting us to constantly feed at the, you know, buffet of toxic junk food. We need to be reminded about the nourishing sources that are available to us, like God's Word. God's eternal Word, where He reveals Himself to us very specifically, is available to us. You're all, most of you are holding it in your hands. We take it for granted that like the most uh, like amazing source of wisdom for all aspects of life is available to us right here and we take it for granted and many of us let it sit in the corner of our house picking up dust right what a travesty that we would live our lives feeding on the buffet of twitter more than the rich nourishing food of god's word same thing with church right so many people are not um, availing themselves of the rich wisdom available through the church, the local body of Christ gathering together to spur one another on in the direction of Christ-likeness, which is the direction of truth and wisdom. What a gift for our wisdom the local church is. And not only the local church, but the church through, through time. The, the Christian tradition is such a deep reservoir of truth for us. And so we need to be reading of, you know, books by Christians in the past and biographies of missionaries and and christian leaders in the past we need to see our christian heritage as a an asset not a liability because so much wisdom is gained through this gift that god gives us of the church and then nature um, this is one of my favorites because you know god created this world it's his handiwork it's you can tell something about an artist by looking at their work just when you go in an art museum you look at a painting by Monet or Van Gogh, if you look at it close enough for a, a long enough time, you can start to pick up things about what kind of person made that. The same is true of God's creation, right? If we actually take time to put away our devices and truly listen to the voices of creation, uh, the heavens declaring the glory of God, right? The sky above 
speaks. It proclaims things about God. So nature, I think, needs to figure into our wisdom diet in a significant way. And, and this is a category where I think even secular people agree and they sense this, right? Even if you don't believe in God, you kind of intuitively sense that, like, I'm, I'm better when I'm in nature. Like, when I, when I kind of can be out in creation, even if you don't call it creation, you don't acknowledge it's a creator, nevertheless, God's nature can help, help us become wise. Now, we can't just have nature without the first two layers. Like, if you only look to God's general revelation, but, but you neglect his special revelation in Scripture, you're going to go off track. That's a recipe for foolishness. But if, we, if we're grounded in God's special revelation in Scripture, and we have kind of the guardrails of the community of God's people in church, then everything above nature, books, beauty, the internet, can be a helpful source of our wisdom because we have these checks and balances, right? If there's something in a book that we, we think is helpful and edifying, but we're not sure, well, check it against scriptural truth. Bring it to someone in your church and ask them. Hash these things out in Christian community, and we'll be able to distinguish truth from falsehood together, and we'll develop this discernment to be able to get the pearls of wisdom that are available in books and beauty and the arts and nature without kind of being tainted by the, the falsehoods that are, that are contained in those things as well. So in closing, I'll just reiterate that our diet of intakes matters for our wisdom. We are what we eat. And so my challenge to, to you today is pay attention to what is feeding your soul. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 is essential wisdom for for us in today's age of information and age of foolishness, because wisdom truly does begin with trusting in the Lord and not trusting in yourself, submitting to him in all your ways, living your whole life in orientation around him as the way, the truth, the life, as Jesus described himself. Um, one other verse that I, I love that we also had a cross stitch up in the kitchen. I remember the place in our kitchen where my parents had framed this verse uh, is Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And it's getting at the same idea of trust. Trusting in the Lord is not only the key to wisdom, but in this verse, it's the key to perfect peace, right? In a world where anxiety is on the rise, anger, depression, we are not at peace in our culture, and I think it's because we are feeding at these sources of anxiety, like social media, the internet. Well, if you feed at the lower categories of God's word and the church, nature, it will lead you to perfect peace, right? Because it will help you fix your eyes, keep your mind stayed on God, stayed on Christ, and so that it leads you to trust in him, and that will be the source of peace, it will be life to you. As Solomon says in verse 8, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So if you feel spiritually sick in the digital age, remember the words of Proverbs 3, and it will be life to your body and nourishment to your bones. It will bring us back to a place of health and wisdom, which I think we all could use a little bit of in today's world. So let me pray um, to that end and um, we'll end the sermon time. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gift of wisdom that is so accessible to us. Um, 
you didn't have to give us your word. Um, you didn't have to establish the church, but you did. You, you give us these sources of wisdom, and we confess that we neglect them, and we look elsewhere um, for truth, and um, we pray that you would help us turn back to instead um, feed at these nourishing sources of wisdom. Help us to orient all of our lives around you. Help us to love you more with our, our heart and mind and soul and strength, and to be reminded daily that what we are taking in um, not only physically, but on the ideas level matters, and give us discernment. Help us to help, us to help each other in community uh, be mindful of what we're taking in and how it's shaping us, and help us to just push each other in the direction of the things that will bring us life and wisdom, which are the things from you. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.